Welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm Tom Valentino, Senior Editor for Behavioral Healthcare Executive, and I am joined by Jamie Vink, CEO of the Sierra Tucson Group. Jamie, this is our first episode of this podcast, and I am thrilled to have you on as our guest. Welcome. Thank you very much, Tom. It's an honor to be on your first podcast. All right, let's uh, let's get up and running here. You and I spoke for a story back in early May, I think not even six months ago. You have had a whole lot happening out there since then. Let's just run through the list. Uh, later that month, I believe, you opened up uh, a new behavioral health building, Copper Sky, uh, that included uh, a new treatment program uh, called Chrysalis. Um, in early September, you announced the acquisition of two treatment centers in California. And along the way, you found time to present at uh, the all-party parliamentary, uh, excuse me, the all-party parliamentary meeting in the United Kingdom. Did I miss anything along the way? Well, October 1st, we launched a partial hospitalization and outpatient program in Tucson, Arizona on, as part of the Copper Sky Building. So I think that rounds it out nicely. Suffice it to say, you've been pretty busy. <laughs> yes, we have. Let's uh, let's talk first about uh, Copper Sky and Chrysalis. Uh, what was the thought process behind those uh, uh, projects and everything that you've got going on there? Oh, absolutely. So Copper Sky is a um, behavioral health inpatient program. It building, it is 44 beds, and it is home to two programs. And one of them is the Crossing. And the crossing is detox and stabilization for people that are preparing for residential treatment. And then the other program that is that lives in Copper Sky is the chrysalis. And what we have found and why the chrysalis was created is that there are certain people that will come to treatment and for one reason or another, they are not ready for residential level of care. Our facility is on 160 acres. We're an integrative model of care, so there's a lot of movement. There's exercise. There's a number of things, including equine psychotherapy. And for some folks, either they're physically deconditioned, they are disassociating, and they're just not comfortable being um, part of the of the day-to-day hustle and bustle of our campus. And so we have created this small wraparound program, and they are in Copper Sky, and they have daily psychiatric visits. They have an intense program, but much more individual one-on-one treatment. They do get to do movement. They get outside. They even do some equine psychotherapy, uh, most often with our mini horses that are brought to them. But we look at it as that wraparound program, and either they will become prepared and ready for residential, or they will stay in Chrysalis. We had a young woman that stayed with us for two months and then transitioned home. So we are finding that it's really filling a space between behavioral health inpatient and residential. What kind of feedback have you gotten so far? We have gotten feedback that it's been absolutely life-changing, not only for our our patients, but for their family members, because these family members 
also get intensive services. They don't go through the family program with our residential folks because what we find is that the family members have different challenges, different questions, those kinds of things. And so the feedback has been absolutely incredible and there's a lot of gratitude out there that we have created this, this new program. Fantastic. Well, outside of those 160 acres that you have there in Arizona, uh, you acquired a couple of treatment centers in California, uh, Sober Living by the Sea in Newport Beach and Sunrise Recovery Ranch in Riverside. Those properties have been renamed Sierra by the Sea and Sunrise Ranch, respectively. And as part of all this, Sierra Tucson's now the Sierra Tucson Group. I'm curious your thought process. What made the timing right for expansion across state lines and how did you settle on these two properties? Well, Sierra Tucson and Sober Living by the Sea have always had a um, a great relationship. They have been our go-to step down for the five years that I've been at Sierra Tucson on the substance abuse side. And what we found is that as we as we opened up our own outpatient program in Tucson, and that specializes in mood and trauma, a very small boutique, if you will, sort of program, we still wanted a place where we could step down residential clients and have the same integrative model of care. And we talked with our partners at at Sober Living by the Sea, our sister facility, and they were very interested in learning the modalities, in in having the types of treatment um, approaches that we had at Sierra Tucson. The other thing that we found is that as we looked at the Newport Beach area, they were also really in need of a solid residential program. And so Sober Living by the Sea, rebranded as Sierra by the Sea, also has a huge residential component to it. And we are in network with a number of the big payers, including Cigna. And so it's really another offering with the Sierra Tucson excellence and expertise behind it. The other thing, so that's, those are the Newport Beach properties. And then Sunrise Ranch was under the Sober Living by the Sea umbrella. And when I went out and saw it for the very first time, I was just completely, just really taken back by what a fabulous program it is. It's also in network with every every pair you can imagine. And it's a very strong 12-step, rustic, um, it has that old school feeling to it where it is it is extremely um, community oriented and it is gender separate where the men the men do their treatment with the men, the women with the women, and it is just incredible on ten acres. And so what I thought is if we could pop that out from underneath sober living by the sea. And it stands alone as its own center. They also offer all levels of care. And so what we've got are programs in Tucson, in Newport Beach, and in Riverside, California, that offer the continuum of care. 
And so that's why the how the three programs mirror one another. And I believe that is good care and it's essential care. Okay. Um, so as part of all of this, you were promoted from CEO of Sierra Tucson to uh, CEO of, of this group. I'm just kind of curious in the day-to-day, how has your role changed in, in you know, having additional properties under your purview and how are you uh, handling um, that, that, uh, that new level of responsibility, I guess? Well, I'm, first of all, it's an honor to be able to, um, to do this and to oversee other properties. It's also an honor to be able to take the program that we are so proud of at Sierra Tucson and share the best and the best practices with other facilities. Um, Valerie Kading is someone that's extremely talented. I've worked with her at Sierra Tucson for four years now. She was a director of medical operations and then she was our interim chief medical officer for a while. And then when I took on the responsibility of CEO, I asked Valerie to be chief operating officer, which she did. She's um, executed that beautifully. And so when these new facilities came along, and their existing CEO stepped out. I said, Val, how would you feel about Newport Beach? And she said, you know, I'm in, I'm going. So Valerie is there and she lives in Newport Beach and she is running those programs. She also is still on our leadership team at Sierra Tucson and it really makes it a nice, um, not only the continuum, but the leadership team is extremely cohesive and knit together, if you will. So that's how I've been handling it is by creating a very strong team. There are a few of us, and I'll include our brand director, Suzanne Miller, who creates things for all. She is part of the group. Um, Tim McLeod, our alumni services director, is working on, you know, Sierra Tucson has just a, a fabulous alumni program and Connect 365, our 12-month continuous support. Tim has also stepped up and um, reaches across the group supporting alumni. So that's a very long-winded answer to how am I doing this the same way I do everything with the team and with a lot of collaboration. All right. That uh, yeah, you definitely can't put a price on uh, having uh, talent uh, to surround you and uh, cohesion and um, <clears throat> everybody pushing in the same direction. It's a big deal for us. I mean, we're we, people were really excited that Sierra Tucson is that we have a sister facility, a Sierra by the Sea, and also our small outpatient program in Tucson. I mean, we are extremely motivated and people are um, kind of on fire with all these new things we're doing. So it's great. All right. Let me, uh, let me ask you this. Um, You know, you mentioned it was an honor to take on this new role. Uh, Another honor for you uh, over the summer, getting to speak uh, over in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what all that involved and how that opportunity came together for you? Absolutely. So I was scheduled to speak at um, the through DB Recovery Resources, and that is Deirdre Boyd's um, organization 
in London, and we often we have sponsored her conference, the UCASAD, for years. CR Tucson is a um, a strong presence with this conference, and I was speaking there on the suicide. Um, I have a new talk that I'm doing, um, suicide, depression, and addiction. It's complicated. And so I was going to be in the UK presenting at um, Deirdre's conference and also for the um, Independent Doctors Federation. And Deirdre had an opportunity because she always um, plans her conference around World Drugs Day. And so it was um, World Drug Day. And the um, House of Commons all-parliamentary meeting was being held on World Drug Day, and they were having a, a committee meeting on the harmful effects of cannabis on the developing brain. And so um, Deirdre asked me if I would like to, to speak at that meeting. I have been involved in the, um, in the marijuana legalization and medical marijuana discussion since 2010 when um, medical marijuana, when the movement to legalize medical marijuana and recreational marijuana began in my home state of Arizona. And so Deirdre saw some of the things I'd written and some of the um, talks I'd given, that sort of thing. And so she asked me, if I would um, like to speak at the House of Commons. And so I did, and I, what I wanted to talk about is um, the impact of 2019 marijuana and what it's doing to addiction treatment. And that was something that they were interested in because the opioid epidemic is extremely, it's really rearing its head in the UK as well. And so they are deciding as a nation what to do about marijuana. And so I spoke about um, what mar the impact of marijuana on addiction treatment and also what marijuana is like in 2019. And there was a doctor that spoke about um, cannabis. She showed her studies on use of cannabis in developing brains and psychosis. And it was just, it was fascinating. And without meaning to, we really complemented each other extremely well because hers was extremely scientific and mine was anecdotal with, there was some research in it, but just certainly my experience, and I called it my experience, strength, and hope as a clinician and a behavioral health executive watching this for the past nine, ten years. You know, it's interesting that you clarify that it's marijuana in 2019. I was just at <laughs> uh, I was just at NCAD West in Denver last week, and one of the sessions I sat in on. Um, the presenter uh, talked at length about uh, the difference in the properties in marijuana as we know it now today versus uh, marijuana uh, that may have been consumed, uh, you know, decades ago. And I think there is a pretty good understanding of that within the field now. Um, but I'm not 
so sure about the public at large. What uh, what kind of a response did you get um, from your your listening audience when you gave this presentation? They were fascinated, and it was really interesting because there were so many of us um, from the states in London for the conference. the The room was probably half full of folks from the conference, so that was that was nice. They were very like-minded individuals because, as all of us know, when we mention marijuana, we are stepping into a very controversial arena. And that's why I like, I preface my talk because I, I do talks about marijuana quite frequently. And I, I preface it by saying, this is my experience. You know, I'm really not here to debate legalization. I'm not being political. What I'm here to do is share my experiences and draw conclusions from it. So, um, I was wondering how that would go over. So in addition to the folks from the conference, we had members of parliament from the House of Commons and also from the House of Lords, because this is such a hot topic right now. And we had a lot of family members that had lost loved ones to opioid overdoses. So that was, first of all, very moving, because after we were done speaking, they got up and shared their story. And part of my narrative is, Yes, I believe, and there's research to show that marijuana is indeed a gateway drug. There's a correlation between marijuana and future opioid use. And also, you speak with young adults, and they will tell you marijuana, beginning to use it in the state of Arizona, the average use for beginning to use smoke marijuana is 12, age 12. And so it puts us in the drug culture. And that is what I have heard from many, many young adults that I've worked with through the years is that by, by taking that first hit of a joint, they're really making a decision of who their peers are, who they're going to be, how they're going to socialize. And that can, that can set them up for failure as well. So there's that whole psychosocial element of it. And the parents that were in the audience basically said, thank you for saying that. You know, I, I, that happened to my child. And so that was very reinforcing. There were some, there were a few people there on the side of um, legalization and commercialization. And so they wanted to banter back and forth, which, you know, I'm not there to talk about the finances of it. But our chair, the member of parliament, Craig McKinley was extremely supportive and he brought both of us up to the front of the room and the three of us sat as well and just um, fielded questions from the entire room. So it was a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just uh, incredible stuff. Um, Jamie, I, uh, you know, we're up against it here, but uh, I just want to say in closing here, really appreciate you uh, taking the time, covered a lot of interesting things here today. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
All right. And I also want to offer a big thanks to you, our listeners, for checking out our show. Moving forward, we're going to be posting new episodes with executives from across the field about every two weeks or so. And as we get up and running, uh, you're going to be able to hear us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the usual podcast listening platforms. In the meantime, though, our thanks again to Jamie Vink, CEO of Sierra Tucson Group. That'll do it for us for this week. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. Mm-hmm.